Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. If you are new tonight, we would just like to say welcome on the behalf of the college ministry and the bridge at First Baptist Church. Um, it looks a little bit different tonight if you are new. Usually there's about like a 6'4 man uh, with a chiseled chin um, and just looking like Tim Starry does. Um, but he's in Washington, D.C. right now. And last week, this is super off topic, by the way. But last week, I made the conclusion that the most dangerous thing in all of America is Tim Starry with the mic with no script. I mean, that's just a terrifying moment. You don't know who he's going to make fun of or what joke he's going to make. It's just, it's just a terrifying thing. So I hope Tim listens to this on the podcast and he's like, wow, like... Am I that brutal? Sometimes he is. So um, if you're new here tonight, welcome. We are going to be resting in Matthew 22. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm super excited to teach on Matthew 22. My wife and I were in the car um, about like a week and a half ago driving to Dallas. And I was like, Abigail, why don't you just open up your Bible and like start reading some parables? Um, Because Tim asked, asked me to teach on a parable. So I'm going to respect that. Um, and Abigail started reading them all off. And for some reason, we, we came across Matthew 22, not for some reason, because she was reading them all off. But I was just like, man, like, that's the one I want to teach. And she was like, oh, honey, maybe not. Like, maybe you should pray about it. And then she kept reading all the other ones. And I was just like, kept going to Matthew, back to Matthew 22. And she was just like, don't make a decision now. Pray on it. Choose another one. Um, and I was just like, I don't know. I just feel like I need to be teaching this one. And then um, I started preparing for the message a couple of days later. And I wrote an outline for this. And I was just like, yeah, maybe she's right. Like maybe I should see something else. But then I went back, read all the other parables. And I was just like, I feel like the Lord wanted me to teach this tonight. And I'm not, I don't say that every single time I teach. I don't say every time I teach, I feel like the Lord has laid this on my heart. Um, and I feel like he did tonight. I, I don't know why. Um, maybe it's just for one or two of you in the room. And if so, that's awesome. And for the other people where it wasn't for you, praise God for his word. Because may his word always lead us to praising him. So let's um, seek the Lord in prayer right now as he calls us a house of prayer prayer. I like to do something different where y'all can bow your head and just take uh, time to pray for yourself and for the people around you. So so y'all go ahead and pray to the Lord. Amen. So my name is Luke Bryant and I uh, just graduated from Midwestern, 22, married to the great Abigail Bryant. And I just wanted to start off with tonight by telling y'all my wedding story, not my wedding story, definitely not my wedding story, Abigail's wedding story. You know what I'm saying? And I mean our wedding story. So the joke is Guys, like, if you're going to plan a wedding with your wife, you have two options. You cannot care whatsoever. That's the option I took, right? I'm just going to let her do it. I'm not going to care. She won't appreciate that. The other way is this. You can care, okay? I didn't choose that route, but you can try and care. I have a best friend right now. He's choosing I'm going to care route. Still doesn't work that way. So you have two options, and they both don't work. Just remember, I know y'all did a wedding series, or not a wedding series, a relationship series with Tim a couple weeks ago, and he gave you a lot of advice. But here's my advice for um, when you're wedding planning. This isn't advice for dating or anything else, but I have two notes, and men, y'all can write this down. Ladies, the same for you. It's fake it till you make it. Real spiritual. Fake it till you make it. Not, bef- not during relationships, not during um, marriage, but during the wedding planning, you're just not going to win. She's going to be stressed out. There's a lot of tension. That is a very emotional time. I mean, 
Trust me, that is a very emotional time. So just fake it till you make it. And then number two, y'all can write this down. Be kind till she's mine, okay? And I'll, I'll explain how this came into my, into me. Like, I, I use this, be kind till she's mine. And, and praise the God, praise God that it worked. But be kind till she's mine. And these, remember, these aren't just things that you fake and do when you're dating or when you're married, but just during the wedding planning. That's it. Other than that, be open and transparent. But wedding planning, there's just too much going on. Just be kind till she's yours. Like, it's so simple. Be kind and just put her first. Just trust me. You'll, you'll thank me later. But wedding planning stuff, well, we got married a year and a half. Not a year and a half. About a year ago, and uh, we had a COVID wedding, and everyone loves a good COVID wedding story. But I just wanted to point out all the things that go into a wedding, because that's what we're talking about tonight, the wedding feast. What a great thing. So I have this big list of everything that Abigail did. Remember, not me. This is everything that she did. I'm not just joking. Like, I literally did nothing. It was... Kind of nice. But, uh, so this is what she did. She found a wedding venue, which takes forever. So she found a wedding venue, and I mean, this was actually before we were even engaged. Isn't that awesome? True love, right? So what? So much faithfulness and trust in the Lord. So she got a wedding venue before we were engaged. Like, of course, like we were talking about getting married and stuff. It's not weird. It was actually at the breaking clutch. I think we have, I, I put pictures up there. Dustin, are up there? No. Ah, look how nice that is. There's another one, too. Oh, it was going to be so great. It was going to be so nice. COVID's the, COVID's the worst. Abigail's like getting emotional right now. She's like, why do you got to do this to me? Fresh wounds. Okay, then she had to find a wedding planner, a photographer. What else? Uh, a DJ, uh, dancing at a wedding. The worst. But people like it. I'm not a huge fan of it. She had to get invitations. Invitations for like 250 people getting like addresses and stuff. Like, People just aren't cooperative. Like, y'all know that. It's just, that was, that was rough. Food, man, we were going to eat good. Street tacos, uh, chicken and waffles, grilled cheese and soup, and then these, like, fancy words for appetizers, hors d'oeuvres. Um, don't really know. I, I don't know what, what those were going to be, but they were going to be hors d'oeuvres. Um, whatever. But, and then we had to pick a cake. She got a cake. I got cinnamon rolls for the groom cake because nothing beats a good cinnamon roll. Um, what else? She picked out flowers. No idea what those were. We had to make a rough draft playlist. She had a beautiful dress. She got to wear that. That was great. She made a website. Um, looked good. She had to find hotels in downtown Dallas. That's tough. Made a whole guest list and got a makeup and hair lady. Okay. So I tell you all this to make one big point. Like planning a wedding is a huge deal because it's the second biggest day of your life, the day you come to know Christ and the day you get married, second biggest day of your, biggest day of your life. And this is what Jesus is going to compare the kingdom of heaven is like. But COVID rolls around and I remember seeing it like in the Northeast and be like, oh, we're Texas. Like we're not going to get COVID here because we're Texas. You know, we're better than everyone else. Not true. COVID gets here. And then I remember my mom called me like a week before it shut down. She was like, hey, we got a friend who's a friend with a mayor of Dallas and just want to let you know, like your wedding might get canceled. They're about to put everyone into, what did they call it again? House, house arrest? Lockdown? House, no, I was being serious. Lockdown? That's just what they called it. Not house arrest, lockdown. Um, so, and I was like, nah, mom, like, they're not going to do that. This is Texas, right? And then, um, like, four days later, I get a phone call from my mom. She's like, hey, just letting you know, um, you might want to tell your wife that, uh, or your soon-to-be wife, that Dallas is shutting everything down so your wedding may not happen. And I was just like, I was like, like, do not make me tell my wife that, like, has planned all of this. Like, I mean, it's, like, hours and hours and days and days of planning all of this. Hey, everything that you did was, like, for nothing. Like, you know, like, what a horrible thing to have to tell somebody. And I was just like, man, 
be kind till she's mine. Am I right? I was like, just be kind till she's mine. But I also was like, fake it till I make it. Do I not tell her and just wait till she figures out? These were the things that were actually running through my head. I'm not joking. But then I walk in and she's like, she's like, I already hear her crying. And like on the inside, I'm like, yes, like I don't have to tell her, which is horrible. But her mom ended up telling her and it was all okay. But the question is like, why was she so devastated? Because a wedding is a big deal. I mean, a huge, huge deal. And that's what Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven is like. So imagine the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding, like a wedding feast. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So Matthew 22 in your Bibles, Jesus speaking in a parable, which is like a metaphor slash story. And so I'm excited to um, open God's word with you tonight because what a great thing to learn about the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So there's a king giving a wedding feast for his son. So Abigail and I, our wedding was a big deal, right? In our minds. But imagine for a king back in their day, a king was drawing a wedding for his son. This would have been the biggest event of the year because weddings back then were like the single like most like loved event like this was the most satisfying thing that you could go to was a wedding in the Jewish tradition it was like five to seven days so it's talking about the wedding feast part which would have been like the highlight of the wedding right we're about to eat good everybody loves some food okay so he's comparing to the kingdom of heaven like this I know what some of the guys in here are thinking it's like if you invite me to a wedding and I have the option to play Call of Duty and Rocket League or whatever you do, like I'm going to stay and play Rocket League. I totally agree. I don't like going to weddings. I really don't. But back then, you have to understand, back then, this was the biggest celebration of the year. This is like Jeff Bezos, you know, the owner of Amazon, or CEO of Amazon. He like just stepped down, which is crazy. I don't know if you all knew that. Jeff Bezos stepped down from Amazon. Like this, imagine him throwing a feast for his son, like two doors down. And like, you're going to go to that. Maybe you can get like a free PS5, something cool like that. Right. So dudes, like maybe think the kingdom of heaven is like, if Jeff Bezos like went and did that, that's not biblical at all, but that's just a little, maybe Jesus parable would look different nowadays, but this was sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So they do what everyone does for their wedding, right? They invite people. This is a big honor. So imagine the last royal wedding we saw, Prince Harry and Meghan. Prince Harry and Meghan, okay? So we got Prince Harry and Meghan. This was a $45 million wedding. Can y'all imagine what you spent $45 million on for a wedding? Like, that is ridiculous. I just can't imagine. So, like, this is how big deal of, like, a wedding this is. $45 million. I, I mean, I just can't imagine. And you get an invite to that. I mean, let's say it's like all-inclusive flight. They're going to pay for your stay because they had to spend that $45 million on something. So maybe it was like flights for people. And you get an invite to that. Like going to England, London, right? London, is that where it is? So you're going to London. Like you're not going to turn that down. Hey, you get a week free trip to London and like you're going to have a feast and you're going to see the city and all the things. Like nobody's going to turn that down. That You'd be so dumb to turn that down. But what do they do? It says, they would not come. Verse four, and again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So what he starts doing here, he starts advertising the food he has. What a great strategy. If there's free food, I am so down. If you told me after this, Texas Day Brazil was going to be right across the street and you can eat free, I'm going. Like, there's not a question about it. I don't care what time I have to wake up tomorrow. I don't care, like, 
what Abigail and I have planned. Like, we're going to eat some free Texas Day Brazil. That is a lifetime opportunity because we live in Wichita Falls. I'll drive two hours for it. It's just so great. So he starts advertising his oxen, which no idea what that would taste like, but I'm sure it was great because the king is advertising it. So it had to be great. And then fat, fat calves. He like slaughtered multiple fat calves. And like, I was looking it up today because I grew up in the city. I know nothing about cows, honestly. But to think about like how much meat is in calves and stuff, he's expecting a lot of people. Like, this is not just a like, oh, hey, we're going to get together like 10 of your friends and they're going to come and we're going to eat together. This is a feast for probably hundreds and hundreds of people. This is a huge deal, right? But what do they do? Or let's just touch on this first. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, is what he's talking about. A wedding feast that is endless community. This is heaven, endless community, endless pleasure, and endless, endless presence of the king and the son. Like, just picture heaven. Picture heaven. This is just a metaphor for what it's like. But imagine, endless community with other believers, endless pleasure with food, and endless presence of the King and the Son and the Holy Spirit being in perfect community all together. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound wonderful? Christian, if you're not excited for that, Pray to be excited for that, I hope. I mean, I hope you're longing for heaven every single day. What a wonderful thing that is going to be like a wedding feast with the king and his son. What a wonderful thing. But, I mean, this crowd, this crowd would have understood this. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people in the temple. They would have understand, like, this is huge. Like, Jesus isn't sitting up here like I am right now being like, hey, like, dudes, I know y'all don't care about weddings, but this is how important it is. He's speaking to a Jewish audience who'd be like, baffled. Like, why are people not coming to this? This makes no sense. Like, Jesus, like, you're crazy. People would go to that wedding. That's probably what they're thinking right now. And like, this is what he's comparing the kingdom of heaven. It's like, when you reject the kingdom of heaven, there's no logical reason for you to reject the gospel. Like, what a wonderful thing that the kingdom of heaven is. So why would you ever reject it? So these people in this crowd are probably like, like, Jesus, you're crazy. You're crazy. They would be baffled at this, but then the excuses start weighing in. So let's see what they say in verse five. But the people paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the, and while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them, they killed them. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, This is the kingdom of heaven. This is like servants going out and offering the kingdom of heaven to people. And what they do with the servants, what they do with people bringing the kingdom of heaven, bringing the gospel, they say, no, I got a business. I'm too busy. I'm out. Or no, I got a farm. I'm out. Or even worse, they are just, what's the word? What's the word? They are not mortified, but they are rejecting it because it is insulting. They said, no, 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 the gospel is insulting. So they kill him. We still see that today. People going overseas to share the gospel and they say, no, 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 that is so insulting. And they sh- treat the servants shamefully. And so we look at these excuses and we're like, oh, there's no way like that actually happens today. But t- just think about how people respond to the gospel. No, I'm too busy. No, I got work. Or no, that is insulting to me. That is insulting to me. And then in Luke 14, verse 18 through 20, we see... Jesus speaking in parable form again about a great banquet, another feast. And these are the excuses that these people give to Jesus. This is crazy. And remember what does scripture tell us? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first, not second, not third. Don't wait on it till you're older in life, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. 
let's see what these people's responses are. In Luke 14, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And I don't know what you're thinking. It's like, why does the kingdom of heaven compare to a field? It doesn't. And also, this is just really crazy thing about why did this man buy a field and not look at it first? Like, first of all, that's just dumb. I mean, my boy John wants to go look at a rent house today. And like, if John was just like, oh yeah, just give me the rent house. Like, that's just dumb. Like, you don't just buy, buy property without going to first look at it. That just doesn't make any logical sense. So I, I probably think he was probably lying. It's probably an excuse. When people make excuses, they're lying all the time. But this reminds me of me this morning. I'm sitting there this morning. I have my Bible in hand, and I have my phone in my other hand. Horrible combination, by the way. So I have my Bible in hand, phone in the other hand, and I have a bachelor party I'm planning right now, um, and I have Airbnb on my phone, and I'm just thinking, like, seek first the kingdom of heaven, bachelor party. Think first, seek first the kingdom of heaven, bachelor party. What do y'all think I chose? The bachelor party for like 15 minutes. What a horrible thing. Because here's the deal. That field is going to be there tomorrow. Why does he have to go seek that field out right now instead of going to the kingdom of heaven, going to the feast? Why do I have to plan this bachelor party when I have God's holy spoken word right here in front of me with the opportunity to seek communion with him and prayer with him? And, but I'm choosing the thing that right after I'm done with that, it's still going to be there. It's not going to go away. It reminds me of the person who wakes up in the morning and checks Instagram before spending time with the Lord, who goes and works out before spending time with the Lord, or the person who tells me on Wednesday nights, because I teach to youth students sometimes. I, 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 do, I serve with our high school students, and this reminds me of the kid who's like, sorry, I got to clean my room. I'm not going to be at church tonight. I'm like, bro, like, your room is still, like, it's not getting any more dirty if you don't clean it now and clean it at your church. It just reminds me of that person. So when we're thinking about excuses, when we're making, it's like, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Most of the things that we're, like, making excuses about, it's still going to be there. Like, it's not going to change. My ESPN, the scores from yesterday's game aren't going to change at all. Like, my 2K player is not going to get any worse if I don't play. Like, it's just not. It stays at an 85 overall rating, which is trash. But besides the point, what does the next person say? Another said, I think we just have five. I, I think. I don't know where I just got that. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I mean, he just bought 10 oxen, and he's like, I haven't even tried them out. Still the same thing. Like, why haven't you tried out the oxen before you bought them? I don't know. But this reminds me of the person who's like, I got to go make money. I don't have time for God. I have to have my third job. And I've been there before in my life where I have three jobs and I'm not spending time with the Lord. I was that person. I was like, I'm trying to get married. I got to make money. Like, who cares what it does to my spiritual life? And I was working Dollar General Church and Rose Street all the same time. And I was just like, man, like, I, I got to make money. I got to make money. This reminds me of the person who says, making money is more important than spending time with the Lord. Or it reminds me of the person who's just like, now nah, I got to try out the new fill in the blank. Or I got to go shopping. Or I got to try out the new video game. I got to get the new phone instead of spending time with the Lord. And I have a great, great quote. And it's going to be on the screen. And I know the, the temptation to just, when people start reading off their thing, it's like, stop listening. But it's going to be on the screen. I encourage you, listen to this quote. Because so far we see two 
different excuses. One, materials. Two, a busy schedule with our spiritual life. With Instead of seeking the kingdom of heaven first, we seek materials and a busy schedule. I fall short of both of those daily. This is a quote from a random person off of a website called Desiring God, and I don't even know his name, so but that's not important. Listen to this. It says, either way, when the banquet came, they were too busy. Business was calling. Too many house projects. Money had to be made and spent. Food needed to be on the table. Who else is going to inspect that field? Who's going to inspect those oxen? In the story, the excuse seems ridiculous at first until we think about them longer. The reality is, is that they hit dangerously close to home to our fields and our stables, what feels so pressing to you and I on any given day that you are willing to forego the greater banquet set before you, to skip communing with God and his word and prayer. No one on earth is too busy for this banquet, not even you, not even me. He is worth whatever we must not do to have him. So whether you eat or you drink or own a home or take a job or secure your own livestock or phone or computer or car, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I said, no one is too busy for this feast. No one is too busy to seek God. Hear about you are not too busy to serve the Lord and ministry. Not, I'm not saying you have to be a pastor or something, but as a home group leader, as serving in the kids ministry, serving in a college ministry on campus. You are not too busy to serve God in whatever way he's calling you to. You are not too busy to seek him in prayer. That one's a no-brainer. You are definitely not too busy to seek God in prayer. You're not too, you are not too busy to start journaling your prayers to the Lord after a quiet time. Man, I fall short of that all the time. What a great spiritual discipline it is to start journaling uh, after and before your quiet time. And man, I fall short of that every day. I'm not too busy for that. I'm, my priorities just aren't the same spot. You're not too busy to be in fellowship with another believer. You're not too feel, uh, busy to mentor someone or be mentored by, some, by someone. You're not too busy. You're not too busy to volunteer or to share the gospel or to read your Bible or to memorize Bible verses. You're not too busy for God. You're just using your time wrong. I promise you. Why? Because I've taken 18 hours, words three jobs, and maintained a relationship, and I did not do it right, and I was just made excuse after excuse after excuse, where eventually I was just like, well, you know what? I need, I need to go down in hours so I can spend time with the Lord. I might need to cut out some of my, my Netflix watching so I can spend time with the Lord. I, need to, might, I might need to cut out some of the time I spent with my, with my girlfriend, which is Abigail at the moment, so I can spend time with the Lord. Like, no, my priorities were just not in the right spot. The Lord gives us 24 hours in the day to what? Do all to the glory of God. And I know what you're thinking right now. It's like, Luke, do you think excuses are always bad? No, I'll answer that in a sec. But we see a third excuse. It says, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. God, I can't come seek you. I can't come. I just got married. That one hits dangerously close to home because I just got married, right? But I don't even think I need to like expand on this one. We have all been in a relationship, not just boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, but with a friend or with our family member that makes you not seek first the kingdom of God. We have all been there. Do I even have to expand on that? You've been in a relationship that is negative on you for your relationship with the Lord. You have. I have, everyone in this room has. Maybe you've been in a relationship where it pulls you away from God. Like, this is a great excuse. And we all say, but aren't we supposed to love others more than ourselves? Yes, scripture says, where is it? Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
So true. Count others more significant than yourselves, but count God more significant than others. When you start chasing popularity and fitting in and all these things, man, you will find excuses after excuse after excuse. Like, God, I just got to fit in. God, I just want friends. I need a friend group. I need community. To the point where just like, I'm not seeking God. I'm seeking relationships. I'm seeking materials. I'm seeking business. So the question is, Luke, is it never okay to make an excuse about missing a quiet time or or missing a church service or not being able to serve in a ministry or no, like, man, if, if it's a Wednesday night and I have a student come up and talk to me, it's like, hey, I'm not going to church tonight. My friend who's not a Christian, I need to go share the gospel with him. Pfft, heck yeah, like, dude, like, don't come to church. Go share the gospel with your buddy. Or like, if, if I have a student who's like, hey, I'm really struggling with anxiety right now and tonight I'm just going to stay home, seek the Lord in, in prayer and his word, I'm like, Yes, stay home. Seek the Lord in prayer and his word. What a great thing. Because here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And everything you do, and everything you do, do all to the glory of God. And that way, it's like, if your excuse is, hey, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to do it for the glory of God, it's not really an excuse. You're still seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Whether you play on a sports team in college or whether if you play video games, do it for the glory of God. How do you do that? By spending time in prayer, by sharing his word, by being in community with other believers. You can do all of your hobbies in a way that glorifies God. I mean, not all of them, unless they're sinful hobbies, but all hobbies that seem neutral. Like when I was in high school, I could have played football for the glory of God. Could have built relationships to, could have built relationships to share the gospel with other non-believers. Like there is always a way to do something for the glory of God. And at that moment, you are not making excuses, but you are seeking first the kingdom of heaven. But let's see what these, this king does to the guys who are making excuses, right? Because that's what the story's about. It's not about the people doing it all for the glory of God. It's about the people who are rejecting. This is super crazy, by the way. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So this is actually a prophecy of what um, happens to the, the Jews after 30, 30 years after Jesus dies. Um, they're persecuting Christians, people who believe in Christ. And they're killing them. They're killing the servants who are spreading the gospel. And Jesus is saying, your city will be burned and you will be treated with harshly. Flavius Josephus is a Jewish historian, super cool. He's not a Christian, but he talks about Jesus all the time. If you're like struggling with your faith, go look at what a non-Christian says about him. Still pretty, still pretty convincing, let me tell you. Um, there's some great Christian books that have taken his writings and made them into Christian books. So it's really good. But he says this, and Flavius Josephus, who was an eyewitness to the whole thing, wrote in History of Jewish War, these words translated, that building, the temple at Jerusalem, however, God long ago had sentenced to flames. He knew long ago God prophesied this and it happened. So if you're struggling in your faith tonight, there's just one little reason to trust God. I mean, he said it was going to happen, and that literally a million people were killed, and the temple was burned down. Crazy. But let's go to what's next. And by the way, those people are definitely, it's probably just, I mean, those people were killing Christians. So if you're like, why would that happen? Well, they were killing Christians. So verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding the wedding feast, as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding was filled with guests. This is my favorite part. The Lord did not want an empty feast. He was saying, go out and find the good and the bad. 
the morally good and the morally bad, doesn't matter, invite them. I want them at this feast. Just like he says, with the kingdom of heaven, the good and the bad, invite them. I want this at this feast. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they act like, I want them at this feast. And he also says there were people who were not worthy. And these were the people that were first invited. These might have been the people who seemed to be worthy, but obviously not because they rejected the invitation. But let's see what happens with the person who did come to the invitation, but did not come correctly. So the wedding hall was filled with guests, but the king came to look at the guests. He saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. It's pretty tacky, right? I mean, if you would have showed up to me and Abigail's wedding in Nike shorts and flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt, I would have been like, Come on, man. Like, I don't care about weddings, but like, really? Like, that's just pretty tacky. That's pretty tacky. So this guy, he shows up to the king, not just a regular person weddings, but the king's wedding feast. And and I mean, and no, and no wedding garment. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And here where some theological debates come in, and I really don't think it should be that much of a debate, but the question is, like, did this man have time to go home and change? Because remember, he just came off, off the street. So maybe he would have been like, had time to go home and change. Maybe he didn't have time to go home and change. Was the king offering everyone some robes? We don't know. They don't really tell us in the next verse. So why did this man have no wedding garment? Let's see what the king says to him. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here with no wedding garment? And the dude was speechless. He had no excuse which is really surprising. Maybe you would have thought, like, he would have said, I had no time to go and pick up a wedding garment or my son's using it or like, King, I have no money or maybe it's in the washers or maybe I gained a little bit of weight. Like he would have thought he would have had an excuse, but he had no excuse. Why? Because this, remember, this is a parable for the kingdom of heaven. And I believe, I, I know what scripture tells us, no matter read it, the Lord always clothes the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven with righteousness. There is no wedding crashers. There is no party crashers in the kingdom of heaven. Because when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you're either clothed with the wedding garment, with Christ, or you're not. So did this man have the opportunity to get a wedding garment? I believe so. It's a parable of the kingdom of heaven. Just like you and me, we have an opportunity to be clothed in righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a groom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns himself with her jewels. Man, what a wonderful piece of scripture. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in God, for he has clothed me. Nothing that you did, nothing that our morals did, nothing that how we acted did, but he has clothed me. Job 29, 18 says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. He was speechless because he denied the offer of God's righteousness. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the darkness and that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the deal. Jesus surely says, come as you are. The good and the bad, here's the invitation. Come as you are. Never once does he say, stay as you are. Never once does he say that. Super simple truth. You'll probably see it on Instagram by some influencer. Jesus says, come as you are, but he never says, stay as you are. And here's the reason why. One day, whenever you die, you're not going to show up to heaven and say, 
here I am, Lord, accept me for who I am. He's going to say, okay, no one is good, not even one. No one is righteous, not even one. See ya. Like, no, God is perfect and holy, perfect and holy. Why is he going to let something that is not perfect and holy be in community in heaven? That makes no sense. makes no sense. But when you get up to heaven, if you're a believer, you will say, here I am, Lord, being represented by your sacrifice, by your robe of righteousness, not on my own behalf, but because of you on the cross. Because you are perfect and holy, and I, I am simply clothed in your holiness and your perfection, and there's nothing I can do from it. No matter how good I am, no matter how bad I am, it's you. It's simply you. But this man was kicked out to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He came because he was invited, but he came only in appearance. The banquet was intended to honor the king's son, but this man meant nothing of the kind. He was willing to eat the good things set before him, but in his heart there was no love for either the king or his beloved son. And then he tells us why this man did not put on righteousness. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And that's the end of the parable. So what is, what is our takeaway from this? I just said 14 verses, explained it. What is, what is you and I, what are our, what are our takeaways? Self-evaluate. First of all, self-evaluate. What excuses are you making? Man, I've, I did this today when I was making excuses. <laughs> when I was writing this message, and when I was looking at this message, and I was making excuses to do other things. What, what excuses are we making? So I was thinking the kingdom of heaven. And then first, non-Christian. If you're not a Christian in this room, first thing you can do, be clothed in righteousness. Be clothed in righteousness. Because one day, when you come face to face with the Lord, and you get into heaven and you say, here I am, God. Take me as I am. He's going to say, depart me from me. I never knew you. You are, you are not clothed with the sacrifice of my son. And you ask if you're a non-Christian, could be you in this room, I don't know. Half the people in here. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When you profess him as Lord, him as perfect and holy and worthy and sufficient for your sins on the cross, and you trust that, that he is Lord and he is sufficient on the cross, and you believe in that, then you will be clothed with his righteousness. That's what scripture says, not my opinion. That's what scripture says. Christian, Man, y'all can start coming up. I'm about to close out. Christian, you can praise him. Hopefully, God's word always turns you to praise him. And why should you praise him? Because the kingdom of heaven is like an all-satisfying feast hosted by God himself for the recognition of his son. What a wonderful thing to sit on and rest on, Christian. Kingdom of heaven is like this feast. And then also, you've been invited and chosen by God. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are God's possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Christian, thirdly, be like his servant. And this is my last point. I'm going to wrap it up. Probably called you all up a little too soon, but that, be like that sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Christian, be like his servant. There's a whole character in this entire story that we missed. There's a, there were servants in this, remember? 
What does he say? Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And isn't this very similar to Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Because you are servants of Christ. Now, what a wonderful thing that you are. Brothers and sisters of Christ, chosen into his family, chosen into his royal priesthood, chosen for his possession. I mean, what a wonderful thing. But you are a servant of Christ. But now that you have been set free from sin, this is Romans 22, and we have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Christian, you are a servant of the Lord. What a proud thing to be. Something to find pride in, something to try to find true pride in. And you are a servant of God in a way where it says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. This is what the servants didn't do. They didn't leave what the king said. The king said, go and invite everyone. They didn't, he didn't just leave and hide behind a corner and say, okay, king, I'll go do it. And then they were just went up to the roads and they just hid. Or they didn't just go to the people where it was comfortable. Or they didn't just go to their family. Or they didn't just go to their friends. But they went to everyone who was good and bad and said, come to the wedding feast. It's time. Look at all the great things that come with it. All of this great food. And Christian, isn't it the same for you and I? May we go to where it's not comfortable. May we, not, may we go where it's not safe and not easy and not going through the motion, not just our friend groups and our families, but may we just go to the good and to the bad and to all the nations, it says, and preach the gospel and say, come to the wedding feast. May we be passionate about it. And it says these people, there were people that were literally murdered for this. And why? Because they believed in the king. They had trust and they believed that the son was worthy to be recognized and that heaven and the wedding feast was worthy to participate in. So Christian, be a servant. Go not just to where it's easy, not just down the road, but it says to the nations. What are you doing for the nations? Christian, you're in college. May we not just be focused on our schools, but may we be focused on big picture. God has a heart, not just for the people in America or Wichita Falls, but all of the nations. What are you doing? Are you praying for the nations? Are you giving to the nations? Are you planning to go to the nations? Because I'm convinced that more than one person in here is supposed to go make an impact to all the nations because this is the Great Commission. This is what you and I are called to. So may we seek it and be servants of God and be a slave to him because of his righteousness and his goodness. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast that people need to be invited to. So Christian, praise him. You are chosen and a servant of him. And also Christian, be like his servants, go invite people, the good and the bad. Leave you with a question, think about it. What, what excuses are you making not to seek first the kingdom of heaven? Leave you with that tonight. Let's pray and then we're gonna stay in worship.